Aloha. We're glad you've joined us for this Reunion Hawaii Church podcast. These teachings by our pastoral team are recorded live during our weekly services in Honolulu, Hawaii. We hope you will be blessed by this teaching. Tonight's speaker, a really good friend of mine, friend of the house, um, before I call him up, his name is Ryan Waldroop. Ryan is such a good friend. He is a capital E evangelist. So if you're not saved, you'll probably be saved. You'll get some of you might get saved twice tonight, uh, even if you've been a Christian for years. But Ryan is a guy with a radical story. I think he's going to share some of his testimony with you tonight, and he's going to set people free. Ryan and his wife Carly and their son Emmanuel live in Pennsylvania, and they work. Or Ryan works at Global Awakening, which is Randy Clark's ministry out there. Randy's a hero of ours. And wow, if you want to hang out with somebody who has a heart for the lost, I just, I keep thinking about Matthew 6, that says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Well, if you want to know somebody who seeks first his kingdom and his righteousness, it's Ryan Waldroop. Uh, this man loves Jesus unashamedly, and he will slap you sideways with that love in the best possible way. Uh, let me give you a quick story. We were in the D.C. area this summer, and Ryan and his wife drove down from Pennsylvania to meet us, and we just went out. I don't, I don't know how we ended up there. We went to an abandoned mall, which in the heart of D.C., I don't know if we should have been there, but it, I feel safe with Ryan. He's a spiritual ninja. And we're just sitting there eating lunch. It's the weirdest situation, and this guy left his newspaper on the table we were sitting at and came up, right? And he just said like, hey, did you see my newspaper? And I guess you had said it somewhere else. And then Ryan just looks at him and said, hey, does your, what was it, your right knee hurt? And the guy said, it, it does. How did you know that? And it just snowballed into this thing where um, Ryan was able to like lay hands on this guy. He got healed. He kept walking away and turning around and saying, how did you do that? How did you heal my knee? How did you do that? Um, talk to him all about Jesus. That's who Ryan is. Like this guy is truly somebody who's committed his entire life and his whole being to the person of Jesus. So Ryan, come on up here. Can you welcome Ryan up to the stage? What, what a guy. Um, let me just pray for you. Father, Thank you for Ryan. Make us like Ryan. Uh, this man reflects you. Jesus, thank you for the way you've designed him. Thank you for his heart for the lost. Thank you for his heart for the living. Thank you for um, the way that he pursues you radically. Would you just impart to us tonight and whatever he's leaking that we can pick it up. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have fun, man. Thanks. Wow, what an introduction. I want to do something first. Before I even begin, I want to honor Jesus, and I want to echo everything that Rachel was saying. Um, man, you hear so clearly from the Lord. I don't even know you, but everything that you were saying, it was just so spot on, because when I was back there in worship, um, it was during that, that, that part in the song where it talks about, I exalt you. I just felt like the atmosphere in the room changed, and I saw two purple flags, whoever was carrying the purple flags, it was going around the room, and I felt like uh, what the Lord was saying, it was reminding me of the walls of Jericho coming down and how the Israelites marched around uh, that city and the walls came down, right? And so I want to 
just for us to stand up really quick, right? I want to honor Jesus for about 30 seconds. No worship team because we're all the worshipers, right? We're the ones that exalt him. We're the ones that get to be a living sacrifice for God, right? So give him a costly worship right now. Lift up your praise. We exalt you, King Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you, God. We praise your holy name in this room, God. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. You are the Alpha. You are the Omega. You are the beginning. You are the end. You are the first. You are the last. You will hold everything together, God. And so we give you this time today, Jesus. We worship you. Ah, oh, you're so beautiful. You're so beautiful. In Jesus' name. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of our praise. And before I begin to, I just want to honor some people. Um, in this house, you know, I'm very grateful for this house. Um, I'll talk about my story in a little bit, but uh, I grew up here, and um, before I left here to go to GSSM, I was kind of like in transition of churches, and uh, I started going to this church, and what was it, Pearl Kai Elementary? It was, it was held at Pearl Kai Elementary, and I just became a covenant member, you know, as Milton was talking about. I just became a covenant member, and then, you know, maybe like a month after that, I'm leaving. And I just want to honor Gary and Amy because, man, even with, you know, within a month, they, they, they gave me like an amazing send-off. They brought me to the front. They put a lay around my neck. They all prayed for me. So many people in the congregation actually gave me money to go to GSSM. And it was just so, uh, such a blessing. And you two are just so amazing fathers and mothers. And I am just honored to be able to stand here and uh, preach the glorious gospel. I thank you so much. Um, Sam Cabra. Yeah. Sam and Tennis. Oh, man. I, um, so I did Kingdom Living. And obviously, I got to know this guy. And Sam, I just, you've, you've changed my life, literally. Like, you have, I know you gave me that amazing introduction, but I wouldn't be that guy you're describing if it wasn't for you, right? You, the, the, the moments and the times that I've spent with you and that I've been in Kingdom Living, uh, I have been brought into a greater revelation of God's love. And I have encountered his love through you, through your ministry, through your friendship. And I'm just so grateful to know you. And I know that we are going to be intertwined for a many, 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 many years, probably forever. I'm not leaving, ever. <laughs> so I just honor you, man. I love you. Um, Rachel. Oh, my God. I love Rachel. Rachel has shown me how to worship just in complete abandonment. She has shown me so much about what pure, honest, true, holy worship is. And she's just been such a great friend in my life. Even before uh, service started today, you know, she, <laughs> she was sitting in the front row, like, telling me about me. And I was having to humble myself because she was hyping me up. But uh, I remember those days, you know, when, when I was this lost individual and searching and uh, uh, we were sitting at Pack Room and you would just give me truth. You would give me the revelation that you got from the Lord sitting in the quiet, the quiet place. And I'm truly grateful for that. And so I, I just, you're such a great friend. And, you know, you definitely, you and Sam definitely need to come to Pennsylvania more often. Shay Takazono. Oh my goodness, this guy. So this is my best friend, everybody, Shay Takazono. 
He is one of the pastors at Encounter Church, and um, you know, this is like a full circle moment for me, honestly, because last night he actually stood right here and he preached the gospel, and now I get to do the same. It's pretty amazing, but 10 years ago, roughly about, let me see, when was it? I don't know, many years ago, uh, I started doing youth ministry, right, and I'm with this guy, and he's 10 years younger than me. And I don't know anything about the gifts of the Spirit. I don't know anything about healing, about the prophetic, about none of that. And, but we would work with the, the middle school and the high school kids, and uh, we would do this thing called tent ministry, where we would just set up a tent outside our church, and we would, it was right across Campbell High School, and we would meet the kids as they leave school. And Shay, who is at that point like 18, right? I'm like 28, and... Uh, He's just like praying for these people, man, and they're getting healed. And he's like saying these elaborate things about their life, which is what I know now as the prophetic. But in my in the moment, I'd be my jaw would be dropped, and I'd be like, "What is going on? What's going on?" And it, I would ask him, like, "How do you know these things?" And he's like, "Man, I've just been watching this guy Todd White, you know." And I I, I know, uh, uh, and then he told me about Kingdom Living, and uh, that's why I went to Kingdom Living. But Shay, I love you to death. You are uh, man. You show me so much about the heart of Jesus, and I love you so much. So grateful for just being in your life, being able to be a part of your life. And I can't wait for what the future holds for you and Carla and Aria and your growing family. And um, I want to honor a couple more people. Um, there's so many. I, I can go on and on and on. But my family wasn't able to come tonight, unfortunately. Um, my, my wife and my, um, my son, Emmanuel, Car my wife is Carly, my son's Emmanuel. Uh, Emmanuel got sick, and so they're at home. Um, they're watching, hopefully, right now. <laughs> Hi. Uh, but I just want you to know that I love you, Carly, so much, and you're everything to me. Emmanuel, you're everything to me. Um, I wouldn't be the man I am without you guys, and I'm so grateful. I want to give a couple prophetic words before I even jump into this. Listen to Rachel. Do it. Where's Jason Matthew at? Yes, man. Dude, okay, so to build some context for this word, uh, I was here last week, and um, I came up to him, and I just said, John Michael, all right? And some, some of you might say, and, and that's his brother which I, don't, I didn't know that. Some of you might just say that's a coincidence because the names are kind of similar, right? Uh, I don't really believe in coincidences. I, I believe in you know, the providence of God, and I believe that he speaks, and I believe the enemy will try to make you think it's a coincidence so you won't speak. Um, so I want to give you, and I couldn't do it. In the, in the moment, I was actually kind of flustered, right? It just came out of my mouth, and uh, he was like, whoa, that's my brother. And I, I kind of didn't deliver a word because I just like, you know, I just hopped off a plane the day before and I was a little out of it. But I sat and processed with the Lord and I just want to pray over your brother and prophesy over your brother and you. And so uh, for John Michael, man, uh, your brother, I just feel like there has been this, uh, this growing hunger within him. I feel like there's been this, this hunger for the more of God and uh, to have a relationship with the Lord. And I feel like he sees what's on your life. I feel like he sees this, this, I mean, you were right here, dead center, bro, right in the middle, worshiping with 
just your full heart and your full mind and your full soul and your full spirit. Like you are, um, you are, are given everything to God and he sees that. He sees that on your life. And I feel like there is just this, um, this thing about discipleship with you and your brother. Like you're supposed to be one to actually disciple him and actually help him steward this hunger that he has within him. And I saw this, um, this image, actually, um, of you two, like, doing something in the future, whether it be ministry, whether it be business. I don't really know the context of what you were doing, but what I saw was I saw this guy, uh, like, you're in this office, and you walk in this office, and this guy just opens his hands, and he gives you this gift. And so I feel like uh, when you walk down this road with your brother uh, and you start doing whatever that venture, that venture is that you're going to be doing with him, there's going to be a time and place where this guy is going to give you an elaborate gift. And I feel like uh, you're going to have a choice to either take it or not to take it. Uh, but I really feel strongly that the Lord is saying do it. So I just want to bless you with that. And, man, you're so on fire for Jesus. I just bless the hand of God that is on you. Amen. Um, and the second word is for Leah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Solomon. <laughs> uh, I wanna. Okay, I wanna. I wanna make sure. I. I, uh, I wanna be careful with this word. I should say, um, because God He speaks through symbols, right? He speaks symbolically. Um, so the other night I was I was sleeping, and um, in this dream. I actually, I, I had a dream, and in the dream, I had like a thought, and it was, this is symbolically, I don't think it's literally, okay? Um, I saw that you were giving birth, or I had, I had a thought that you were giving birth, right? You were birthing, and so if, that's <laughs> Solomon, you're funny, man. I mean, if that's something you guys are doing, bless it in Jesus' name, right? But I really think it's, it's, it's symbolically for that God is birthing something in you, right? Uh, I, I think um, you're in a season where um, there is just about to be this an amazing uh, like catapult of what you're doing on this earth, right? Uh, I feel like the Lord celebrates your yes. I remember the first time I ever heard a message by you it was at Pacram, and I actually think you talked about celebration. And the Lord just wants you to know that he celebrates you. And I saw, like, you taking off. I, I, I saw that, um, that you were going to be one of the women, right, that raised the standard of women, right? There's this stigma all over the world, predominantly in the United States, that women can't do what men do in churches. I know not in this house, praise God, right? Praise God. We, we understand and know the Bible, and we know that you can Right? But I feel like you are going to be one that is going to be a voice for all women in the United States. You're going to raise the bar, and you're going to lift them to a standard to exalt Jesus and to preach the glorious gospel. I even feel like this is going to be a season where there's going to be an explosion of people wanting to bring you in and have you speak. And so I just bless the ministry of what you carry. I bless just the celebration of life, that everywhere that you go, there is a table that you bring with you and that you allow people to come and eat at that table because you carry Jesus in Jesus' name. Amen. So I work um, 
as uh, Sam was saying, I work for Global Awakening, and uh, Global Awakening is Randy Clark's ministry. Uh, Randy Clark, if you don't know, he was the one um, from the Toronto Blessing, uh, and it was a, a massive uh, revival in Toronto, and now his ministry is in Pennsylvania, and I moved out there in 2019, um, and I'll get into some of that later, but I really, what I want to do, to do tonight is I want to share, like, my story. I want to share my testimony, right? You know, Reve- Revelation 12, 11 says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the power of our testimony, and that we don't love our life even unto death. And so uh, I believe we all have a testimony. My testimony is not greater than your testimony. Your testimony is not greater than my testimony. It's just different, right? It's all covered by the blood. And if we make our testimony about honoring him and looking at it through the lens of our redemp- of the redemption that comes from Jesus, it's a good and it's a beautiful thing. Right? And so I want to talk about my testimony. Is that okay? And then after that, I want to get into how the Lord brought me through this amazing healing process. Um, so when I was four years old, um, my parents were divorced. And my dad was in the Air Force, so we traveled around. And when, when, when my parents divorced, I went with my dad predominantly for most of my life. And I had an older brother. He went with us. Um, and so... We moved to Georgia at the time, and when I was five years old, he, my dad pulls us into the living room, and he says, um, your brother is not your real brother. He's your adopted brother. And he said, he's going to start going and living with his mom. And so from that moment on, my brother kind of left my life, right? He, he, he went and started living with my mom. I still saw him periodically through my life, but he never did once again live with us. And my dad never, um, it, the relationship was just different, I should say. And so after that event, after he moved away, my dad got into another relationship with a woman. And she had a 16-year-old son. And when I was six years old, this 16-year-old kid began to molest me. He began to molest me on a repeated basis, and uh, he would do things like when, when my dad and uh, his girlfriend at the time would leave the house, he would put on a Jason mask, and he would grab a machete, and he would like lock me in a closet, and he would just torment me. Right? And so I went from having this uh, amazing brother, this protector, to having this figure in my life that just brought on so much trauma. And in the beginning, I didn't really know what was going on. You're six years old, right? In the beginning, I really didn't know what was going on. But as time went by, when I, about middle school time, right, these effects of this trauma began to have a, they began to, um, I began to do things in my life because of these effects, right? Because of the effects of the trauma. So, for instance, uh, my sexual identity was confused, right? I didn't know if I was gay. I didn't know if I was straight. I didn't know if I was bi. Um, I started acting out sexually with women, with, uh, with men. Um, I was just so confused, right? And then um, 
one thing that I wanted to do because I was so lost from the divorce, from the traumatization, from the sexual abuse, is I chose to numb out all the confusion and all the pain with uh, substances. So I started using drugs at the age of 13. And by the time I was 14, I was fully addicted to meth. All right? And then something happened when I was 15 years old. I was lured into a hotel. I was shot up with drugs, and I was raped. And it was interesting because uh, the devil has this ability to corrupt your mind and to pervert your thinking. Uh, when abuse happens. And so this event, like I knew it was taking place, but at the same time, there was like this sickness within, there was this perversion within my thinking that I kind of wanted it to happen, right? I didn't, I didn't fight it. I didn't, I didn't try to not uh, have it happen to me, uh, even though I was uh, drugged, even though that, you know, this is a grown man and I was 15 years old. Um, there was still a perversion in my thinking. So but when that event happened, for the next 10 years, I just went on a, an adventure. I went on a search um, of just searching through all the wrong things. Um, and I became just completely addicted to crystal meth um, for a decade of my life. And it took me to places that you know, no pl nobody should ever be. And for the next 10 years, I was just confused. I was addicted. And then something happened in 2011. Um, I had my second overdose. Um, my first overdose was probably about four years before that. And it was on methadone and um, uh, Xanax, where my brother found me um, my, uh, on his floor. And my lips were blue. I had taken a whole bunch of pills. And then four, year, four years later, in 2011, uh, I was actually driving with my older brother. He was driving. I was in the passenger seat. And we were actually going to a family barbecue. And I had a whole bunch of crystal meth on me and a whole bunch of oxycodone. And my thinking, we got pulled over. My thinking at the time was, I want to swallow this instead of enchant it rather than getting, getting arrested, taking a charge, and going to prison. All right? That's a rational thinking. But... I did it, and so I ate all those drugs, and they actually only ended up uh, citing my brother with an expired tag, and it was about 20 minutes after I ate it, to 20 minutes he was talking with the cop, and then he hopped back in the car and we took off, and I don't remember anything about the ride. All, all I remember is that I, I, I told him just to get me home, and he takes me to my mom's house, and my little brother at the time saw me and was like, no, he's not okay. And so they take me to the hospital. What ended up happening is um, I, oh, my heart ended up stopping, right? It stopped for two minutes, one minute and then another minute um, because the crystal meth ended up giving my heart got up to over 200 beats per minute, and it was really, excuse me, sporadic, and so it gave out. And so they had to, um, you know, hit me with the paddles and bring me back to life. And that was really the the moment in time where something shifted in my thinking, where it put this fear in me. Um, I have this memory of being back in North Carolina when I was five years old. My, my, my grandma, she played the organ for an old Southern Baptist church. And so when we would go back to North Carolina, I would, my grandpa would walk me to this church. And so I had this seed 
I had this seed in my mind that if God was real, then he was Jesus. And one thing I knew about Jesus is that he was light, right? And see, I didn't have no encounter in this hospital room. Uh, I, I, I know people, close friends of mine, that have had similar things happen like this, and God actually shows up in the room and heals their bodies, right? And they have this amazing encounter. I didn't have that. All I did was have black. Everything was black. That's all I remember. It's just black. Night, night, night. Complete black. And it put this fear in me that if I die, I'm going to hell. Because, like I said, I have this seed that if God is Jesus and Jesus is light, then I'm going to go to hell because of straight darkness. So it began to do something within my thinking to, to make me want to get help. And I began this process of talking to my dad about uh, coming back to Hawaii. I was in North Carolina at the time. Uh, and going to rehab, uh, this place in Kaliloa. It's called U.S. Vets. And so we started that, right? We started that process. But at the same time, when I got out of the hospital and all those drugs started to leave my system, I started going through massive withdrawals. And my mind was not what it is today. It was very irrational, right? So I had an idea. I'm going to break into a house and steal all the stuff that they have. And so I did that, right? I, I, went, and bro I went and broke into a house. And I, I stole a whole bunch of firearms. I stole a whole bunch of jewelry. And I'm from a small town in North Carolina where everybody knows everybody. And so I take all their jewelry, and I take it to a pawn shop, and I pawn it. And so it doesn't take them long to figure out who did that thing, right? So the detective comes, and he, he calls me, and, he, and I meet him at my mom's house. And... I'm so broken at the time, man, I'm just admitting to everything, right? And so they take me to, to jail, and I have eight felonies, right? Two charges of possession of stolen firearms, two charges of grand larceny, two charges of breaking and entering, and two charges of burglary. And so I have eight felonies, and they take me to jail, and they give me an unsecured $50,000 bond. So what that is is, I mean, with this amount of charges, it's unheard of, right? It's... I don't need a bondsman. I don't need money up front. All I had to do, because it was unsecured, was sign my name on a line, and I was able to leave. So I got on a, <laughs> I got on a plane and came back to Hawaii. I ran, is what I'm telling you. All right? I ran. I checked myself into US vets. And mind you, I don't have a relationship with Jesus still. I'm, I'm still operating in the flesh, and it's still like, you know, just grinding. Um, but I'm in, I'm in rehab, and <clears throat> I'm, I'm doing pretty good, meaning I'm not doing drugs. Um, and, but then I do. I have a relapse, right? I go, to, uh, I go somewhere with my dad, actually, and we go, uh, I, I have a drink, and then I go back to this rehab facility, and I get into a fight. And the next day, they kick me out. So here I am now. I, I, I'm on uh, this dirt road in Kaliloa. Um, it's where the new federal building is. If you, know, if you know where the new federal building is, it's not new no more. It's been there for like you know, six, seven years. But uh, I was, it was empty then. And I was laying on this road, <clears throat> and I was crying out to God. You know, it was God that I don't have a relationship with. Um, 
and I don't know him. And I'm just like, God, why did this, why is this happening? You know, I thought I finally figured it out. thought I finally was doing the right thing. And I get this phone call. And it's this lady that did my intake into the rehab facility. Right? And her name is Lahela. And uh, she's like, hey, this is going to sound weird, but God spoke to me and told me that I need to help you. And I'm like, uh, yeah, this is weird, but I'm, I'm not going to say no. You know what I mean? I have nothing. I have a book bag, a skateboard, and a cell phone. No money, no nothing, no home. I'm homeless. <clears throat> so her and her sister actually end up coming to pick me up. And it sparked this amazing relationship. A week later, I was able to get back into U.S. Vets. It, it, it started this amazing relationship, but this woman had a four-year-old daughter. Her name was Kiana. And me and her became best buddies, man. So we became joined by the hip. And I know that now, you know, it's the kindness of God that leads a man to repentance, right? And God really knew that I needed the innocence of a child, to restore the brokenness in my soul, right? And so he used that little girl to restore my soul. And shortly after this, shortly after this relationship between Lahela and Kiana, uh, I ended up going to a church. It was called Hope Chapel Kapolei. And I ended up, that's where I met this guy. And Alyssa, where is Alyssa? How did I not honor Alyssa? Oh, my goodness. I'm so sorry. I would repent. Repent. So we, all three of us were in youth ministry together. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. But um, I walk in this church, and I'm going to be honest with you. I don't really even remember the message. I just remember that I've, I, I know that I've tried everything else, and this is what I have to do. Right? And so I, I, I say yes, and uh, I give my life to Jesus, and I begin this amazing walk with the Lord. And it was something actually that kept me going back was the familial aspect of the church. Right? I grew up with a broken family, right? but the church is, it is the family. Right? And so it showed me what true family is supposed to be. And so every week I would go back and go back and go back. And as I would go back, things would change within me. And, you know, I became this, it became this amazing process. Well, mind you, I have this huge shadow over my life, right? <clears throat> I have eight felony charges in North Carolina. <laughs> Man, all I keep hearing, right, <clears throat> is stay here. I don't even know how to hear from the Lord yet, right? But I think I hear, right? Just stay here with me. Stay here with me. Stay here with me. I hear like this little small voice in my spirit to just don't go back and just stay in Hawaii. And so that's what I did. Right? I kept going to church. Uh, I just forgot. I put it on a back burner. Um, and as time went by, like five years went by, and I'm at this point in my walk with the Lord now that my, my mind's renewed. You know, I'm living holy, I'm living healthy, and I'm not addicted to drugs anymore. I don't drink, don't smoke cigarettes, nothing, right? And so I'm at this point in my life where I'm like, <clears throat> I would be okay if I go to prison. I would be okay now if I went to prison, right? And so I start doing things 
to kind of test that, <laughs> right? And one of those things is I would apply for jobs that I knew that they would do a federal background check, meaning that they would fingerprint you, right? And so I went and I applied for this job at the Salvation Army, the Croc Center in uh, Coppola, uh, to be an assistant teacher for the preschool. And so I did, I applied for that job, and sure enough, it comes up hot, right? My fingerprints come up hot, and they were like, you gotta go to the Department of Human Services. And so I walk into the Department of Human Services, and this guy is at this table, man. They bring me into like this, you know, I mean, we've seen all the cop stories, right? The cop shows and stuff, they bring you into that room, they got the binder, right? It was, it was that, it was the scene in those, in those shows. And he's got this binder, he's bringing up my military, I was in the military for a little bit too. He's bringing up my military record, um, and then he's like, okay, in 2011, were you caught with possession of stolen firearms? As soon as he said that, I was like, oh, man, I'm going to jail. Going to prison. This is it. And I'm just owning up to it, right? I'm like, yes, 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 yes. And at the end of it, he says this. He says, well, it's a good thing that all those charges were dismissed. Hey, that was the same reaction I had. <laughs> hey, I was like, inside, I was like, what? You know? I'm keeping it cool, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I know. Yeah, you know. But inside, I, I was the same reaction. I was like, what? And so I actually ended up getting the job. They hired me, man, and all those charges were dismissed. So around the same time, uh, I didn't have insurance. when I, I was in ICU for five days during this overdose. I didn't have insurance. Uh, about a year before this moment with uh, the Department of Human Services and me applying for that job and finding out all the charges were dismissed, I wanted to start taking care of my debt. I had $30,000 of hospital debt. So when I found out uh, all those charges got dismissed, you know, I wanted to start making payments. And so I called the IRS and they're like, sir, we have no clue what you're talking about. $30,000 was just completely wiped off my record. When a year before that, it was on my record. So God not only saved my spirit, but he saved me in the natural from growing to prison. He saved me from financial debt. He saved me from so much, right? And then, yeah, praise Jesus. You can give him a clap. And then I uh, began this amazing journey with kingdom living. Man, I love kingdom living, y'all. Anything that I can do for Kingdom Living, I will do for Kingdom Living. Um, you know, I just love it. Amen. I've had, amen, I've had so much life transformation, right? And shortly after Kingdom Living, I went to GSSM, and it was a hard goodbye, but I want to be obedient to God, right? And when the Lord speaks to me, I heard somebody talking about they're teaching the kids that slow obedience is disobedience, right? Praise Jesus. I want to be obedient right when he says something, right when he speaks. I do not want to delay at all. And so I had to say goodbye. Bye, Sam. You know, uh, even when I was there after I completed the year, he called me about something and I couldn't do it. Although I wanted to do it, I just couldn't do it. Um, because the voice of God outweighs any voice in this room. It outweighs my wife's voice. 
Amen. So I want to talk about the healing journey. That's my testimony in a nutshell, but I want to talk about the nuts and bolts of the healing journey that, the God, that God took me through. So Psalm 34, 18. I don't have slides either. I, got, I think I got one slide, but sorry. You just have to bear with me. I'm not a PowerPoint guy. I know, Sam, you love PowerPoints, huh? I'm just kidding. Uh, so Psalm 34, 18. <laughs> it says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So growing up, my, my heart was broken. Broken hearted. I, I lived a life broken hearted. And what that means is, it means that my soul was shattered. Right? If you say that you're brokenhearted, what you're saying is that your soul is shattered, right? And trauma, it has this ability to fracture your soul. And when I speak of soul, I mean your mind, I mean your will, I mean your emotions, and I mean your identity, all right? So when I speak of the soul, those four components are what I'm talking about, because they encompass your soul. So your mind is what and how you think. Your will is what and how you choose. Your emotions are what and how you feel, and your identity is who you are. So your mind is what and how you think. Your will is what and how you choose. Your emotions are what and how you feel, and your identity is who you are. And trauma, it shatters and it twists these areas of your soul. When you talk about trauma, you have two types of trauma, all right? We'll, we'll call them trauma A and trauma B. So trauma A is it's the absence of good things, all right? So for an example, I grew up with only one parent predominantly, right? And so I had an absence of having a household with two parents in covenant, um, and that's traumatizing. Right? That is traumatizing. Uh, if you are on deployment, I was in the military. If you, if you go on deployment, right, even if nothing bad necessarily happens and you have a family back home that you leave for, say, 15 months, that's an absence of a good thing. Right? That's traumatizing. <clears throat> Poverty. If you have an absence of the ability to have food, have shelter. Um, that's an absence of a good thing. Um, how about the absence of a traditional family household? And what I mean by that is I mean a man and I mean a woman in covenant, a biblical, traditional family household. And we can look out in the world right now and we can see that there's so much confusion where now a household can be a woman and a woman, a household can be a man and a man, it can be a woman and a, a man who thinks they're a woman. And I'm telling you that there is going to be traumatization from these things because it's not God's intention, it's not his will, it's not his plan for our lives. And I do believe that there's going to be a delay to this trauma. And the reason I say that is I mean, not, all, not all, all, all cases, but I believe that 
as the church, we're not really going to fully understand what is happening until later on in life. Um, and I say that because of my situation, right? When I was trauma, to, trauma, when I was abused, I can't speak. When I was abused when I was six years old, right? It had these years, like seven years, right? <clears throat> until any behavior, any actions actually began to take place in my life. It had a delayed effect because I was a child, my frontal lobe was still growing, and I was still, you know, getting old and growing. Um, so there was like this delayed effect. And I believe, um, you know, that's going to happen. And as the church, I feel like we really need to be prepared, right, to restore people's souls in this area. We have to be. With love, with truth, you know, I'll eat and dine with them all. I'll go to the beach, go to the park, whatever. I don't care, you know. Jesus, he, he hung out with sinners, Right, and I, I want to be that person that sits next to these people that are just their souls are shattered, and they're broken, and they're lost. And I think the church has to be prepared to do the same. Yeah. Trauma B is the presence of bad things. <clears throat> I'm a little emotional tonight, y'all. Um. I'm just going to be vulnerable, man. I feel like this is like a full circle moment for my life. You know, being back here, my best friend preaching here yesterday. I'm just really feeling the presence of God. And I'm really feeling his emotions for people. So pray for me. <laughs> presence of bad things. <clears throat> This could be abuse, it could be verbal or physical. Um, it could be a car accident, it could be combat, it could be natural disasters, it could be whatever, all right? Um, and I think today, people think that the physical is more serious than the verbal, um, and to each his own, but what I wanna say is that verbal abuse has the same effect. It has the same effect on the soul, all right? And I'm gonna share just a simple little story um, which I can laugh at it now because it's kind of funny, but in the moment, it had an effect on my soul. Uh, when I was, I think, 13, 14 years old, uh, I went back to North Carolina because I wanted, I wanted to go to the high school that my dad went to. I wanted to go to the high school that his dad went to and so on and so forth. And so I hadn't seen my mom because my mom is the one that lived in North Carolina. I hadn't seen her in years. I was living with my dad in here, and then before that, Okinawa. Um, and so I go back, and the, as soon as I walk through the door of her house, she says, whoa, where'd you get that honker? <laughs> Meaning my nose, right? She had missed my, my stage of puberty, right? And so she said, whoa, where'd you get that honker? And that affected me, man. <laughs> that affected me. I mean, look at this thing. This thing is pretty. Come on. How dare her? I love her to death. But that affected my soul, right? And these, even if it is joking, right? Because she's joking. She didn't think, like, I was ugly or anything. She was just joking. That's how she is. But it affected me. Um, experiencing effects 
of trauma are not a mental illness, but a soul injury. The devil, you know, he will use trauma to think that there is something wrong with you, right? When I was a kid and all this happened to me, as I got older, you know, I, I started seeing psychiatrists, I started seeing psychologists, I started seeing all these people, right? And they would tell me that, oh, you have ADD, or oh, you have this, and oh, you have that. And I'm, I, want, I want to make myself clear right quick, okay? I am all for the medical field, psychology. I think there is a place, right, for that. I think it's good. I know a lot of, especially if they're, they're uh, spirit-filled. Um, and so I'm not knocking any of that, right? But this is what the devil will do, right? He will <clears throat> use trauma, and he'll actually use people um, to tell you that there is something wrong with you. And he, he did that in that way, but he also did it in this way. And there's three specific things that he kept bringing up, and they are guilt, shame, and condemnation. So guilt, it says... It, guilt says, I've done something wrong, right? And I, I believe that there is healthy guilt. Uh, like if I go steal a Snickers, I should feel guilty about that, right? <laughs> you know, I don't know about Sam. He, he might go, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just feel like I'm picking on you today. I'm sorry. But um, so that's one, right? It, I've done something wrong. And so my guilt in, in, in this situation was twisted. It was perverted. It was unhealthy guilt because I thought that those events that happened to me in my life was it was me doing something wrong, even though it was something wrong done to me. And so then he would bring on shame. And shame tells you that there is something wrong with you. If you look in the garden, that's what the enemy used, right? Shame. They hid Right? And then there's the third one. It's condemnation. It tells you that you're never going to change. I remember being um, so strung out on crystal meth, and uh, I was addicted to pornography and addicted to sex in general. But pornography, um, I would go through this internal battle of wanting to quit so bad, and I would have this voice always come in my mind, and it would say, uh, you're never going to change, so you might as well do it anyway. You're never going to change. You might as well do it in, anyway. And the enemy used that against me, and it took forever to break that bondage. <clears throat> it was that way for years, and my soul was shattered. Um, there's some stats. Um, much of what we know about the effects of trauma on children, it comes from research on, ch on child sexual abuse. And the research shows that sexually abused children often have problems with fear, worry, sadness, anger, feeling alone and apart from others, feeling as if people are looking down on them, low self-worth and not being able to trust others, behaviors such as aggression, out-of-place sexual behavior, self-harm, and abuse of drugs or alcohol. And I displayed all these behaviors. Um, if you look at my body, um, that's a weird statement if you look at my body. <laughs> if I were to show you parts of my arms, my hands, I have all these burns on my body where I would take cigarettes and I would burn my flesh or I would take hot staples 
and I would burn crosses or, or things in my arms. And I just wanted to feel something, honestly. You know, I don't really know how to explain it. It's like I just wanted to feel something. I just want to let you guys know, when I'm crying up here, it's not because I'm stuck in that moment anymore. I'm crying about the goodness of God. I'm crying about his redemption, man. Like, I'm so overwhelmed with the Lord. And when I talk about these things, it just, it's like, he's so freeing. He's so freeing. So I did the counseling. I did the knuckling, the white knuckling, trying to stop. I did the, the geographical cure where I would go back and forth to North Carolina and from here. And I'd be like, oh, if I just get away, you know, and create new friends, then I'd be away from the drugs and I'd be away from the temptations. None of it works. It did nothing. <clears throat> Even though if the, the uh, actions would periodically stop, my soul was still shattered. And there was still this em emptiness in me. But praise be to Jesus, my God. See, Jesus, he suffered trauma on our behalf. <laughs> he suffered trauma on our behalf so that your trauma would be healed. I'll say it again. Jesus suffered trauma on our behalf so that our trauma would be healed. Oh, he's so good. I want to talk about the instead of ministry of Jesus. Do you guys know about the instead of ministry of Jesus? <laughs> uh, turn to Isaiah 61. If you have your Bibles, we're in church, you should. Verse 1 through 3. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the humble. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, pro proclaim release to captives, and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of sorrow, the cloak of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness, so they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This is the instead of ministry of Jesus. He gives you comfort instead of mourning. He gives you a garland of beauty instead of ashes. He gives you the oil of gladness instead of sorrow. It gives you the cloak of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, I just thank you right now in this moment, God, for your instead of ministry. I thank you that you give us comfort and you give us a garland of beauty and you give us the oil of gladness and you give us the cloak of praise. I'm going to be honest with you guys. This didn't happen overnight. I know, like I said, I know people that have had encounters and stuff does happen overnight. God can do anything. He can absolutely do it in an instant. All right? But he didn't, my, my situation wasn't like that. It didn't happen overnight. God began to um, take me through this process. We have a saying <clears throat> at our school in Pennsylvania. 
It's called Trust the Process. In the beginning, I hated it, right? I was like, it is finished. <laughs> I don't want to hear about your process. It's finished, <laughs> right? And, you know, when that was spoken on the cross, right, it's talking about the penalty of sin, right? The payment for sin will never have to be paid again. It is finished. It's not talking about this process that you have to go through with God. It says in Scripture that as we behold him, we become more like him. That sounds like a process to me, all right? And so God began to bring me through this amazing process. And uh, you can put up that one slide that I have, <laughs> Solo Ranger. Do you got it? Hopefully. Okay. Cool. So this is an ancient, it's called, Shay, you got to make sure my Japanese is good, yeah? I'm probably going to botch it. Kintsukuroi. Uh, kintsugi. <laughs> another word is another word is kintsugi. I go with that one, and but it's a it's an ancient Japanese it's an ancient Japanese tradition of repairing broken pottery with gold or silver lacquer, and understanding that the piece is more beautiful for having been broken, and it also makes a makes it stronger than it was before. And so God, He began to you know He's the potter. I'm the clay. All right, I'm the pot. I was broken. I was shattered. He began to take all my pieces and he began to put them back together with this amazing gold that he has. He began to fashion me back into place. And I'm more stronger now, more pretty now. I'm just kidding. But, and it's, it's beautiful. And so what did this look like? Well, the first thing is that he began to rewire my brain. I want to tell you the story about the bees. I don't even know if any of you guys know about this story. Rachel, you might be the only one. I don't know if you do. I don't know if you know it or not. It's, it's, it's pretty funny, but it's also pretty crazy. So, oh, man, I, I was, I don't even know how long ago this was, but it was a long time ago. And I was uh, in my dad's house in Kalihi. And I think I had been up for about a week, uh, no sleep, just strung out. And I was stuck in my room looking out the window, um, like all chronics do, right? They, they, they look out the window and they see shadow people. And so I'm, I'm looking out the window and I'm seeing all these shadows. <clears throat> and I look at this telephone pole and I see these huge human-sized bees, right? They're crawling up this telephone pole and they're swarming around the top. And I, I go in the kitchen and my dad's got this deck on the outside of his house. And I go in the kitchen, I, I, I grab these two huge knives and I go out on his deck and I'm like swatting the air, right? <laughs> like, I don't know about you guys, but that is an example of a messed up brain right? Gone. And so I, I needed a lot of rewiring. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 10, three through five, it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war, against, war after the flesh. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. See, I had these strongholds from the enemy. I had these fortresses in my mind, right? And God, he began to cast down those strongholds. He began to replace them with godly strongholds. And he began to shape my imagination to the way that he sees things. Um, and he still does that today. I, I'll give you an example. Um, my dad just met my, my, my son. And, you know, me and my dad didn't have the best relationship growing up. But what, he was a good dad. He was a good father. Always provided. Was always there. If I needed anything, he'd be there. And, but the enemy, you know, when you're traumatized, you will project and resent so many people, even people that weren't involved. And so I acted out towards him throughout my life. And so our, our relationship was fractured. Um, but I, uh, I was in the living room the other day, and I was looking at my son. And I was just having this beautiful moment with God. And later on that day, um, I was back in the living room, and my dad was with my son. And I was looking at how my dad was interacting with him. And he just met him, and it was very beautiful. And the Lord told me, this is what you couldn't see. This moment right here with your, grand, with your dad and your son, how he's acting with him is what you couldn't see. He was the same with you. You just had this perception that he was not who he was. He was a different person, that he was harmful. And so God, he, he, he begins to build these strongholds and build these fortresses with the thoughts of heaven. He begins to fashion my imagination to his imagination. I begin to see things and know things as he does. In Romans 12, 1 through 2, it says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. <clears throat> this scripture, this next scripture, 2 Timothy 1.7, it really saved my life in so many ways. <clears throat> Before Afghanistan, um, the verse says, God, God did not give me a spirit of fear, but of love and a power and of a sound mind. And before Afghanistan, before I went on my deployment, uh, I deployed late, meaning my, my unit was already there. They were there for, I think, like five months. And I was back in Fort Lewis, and three people in my unit died. They, uh, they got blown up in an IED attack. And here I am. I'm this 18-year-old kid. Now I'm helping with their ceremony back in the United States. I'm carrying their coffins and knowing that next week I'm going to be in Afghanistan, right? And so there was this fear over my life that I'm going to die, um, constant fear over my life while I was in Afghanistan, just I'm going to die. I'm going to end up like them. 
Well, we never gotten another IED attacked. Other things happened. But when I came back from Afghanistan to the United States, I had problems with going on, with driving. I had problems leaving the house, and I had problems driving. When I would drive down the road, I always had this fear that I'm going to blow up or something is going to happen. And so I would have to pull over and I would have these panic attacks where uh, I would just have so much anxiety and so much panic. And the scripture, I would just recite it over and over and over and over and over and over again. For God did not give me a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and a sound mind. And he began to use the word to renew my mind, to renew my soul, to help me and conform me into his image. So if you're having thoughts and if you're struggling in any way in your life, I want to encourage you to stay in the word of God. Um, the devil will do everything he can to keep you out of his, keep you out of God's book. And a big thing that he's using right now is this, you know, it's so accessible. It pulls all our attention. So I would, I would encourage you. I would, I would invite you to ask the Lord if this has become an idol um, because if it's pulling you away from his word, just ask the Lord. He'll tell you. <clears throat> the second thing is that he empowered me to admit and forgive. See, for the longest time, I held all that trauma in. I didn't talk about it. Right? I didn't tell anybody about it. Um, I resented people, uh, not only the perpetrators, but also people that were close to me um, that didn't even have anything to do with it. And when you hold in trauma, it has an effect. Um, it has lasting effects. James 5, 16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that they may be healed. The affected prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Um, I had to open up and confess not only my sins, right, but sins that were done to me. And when I did that, the healing process actually began to take place, right? It, 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 it didn't actually start, I don't believe, until I actually admitted to these things, right, and told somebody about it and was able to speak up freely about these things. That's when immense healing began, but also the ability to forgive. Not only just to admit it, but also to forgive. Um, I had to forgive. Forgiveness does not mean that you forget, nor does it mean that those memories do not hurt. <clears throat> I had a moment today, actually, um, when I was, I was prepping for this, and I was just going over it, and I, I was sitting at my dad's house in Kalihi, and I was in this room downstairs, which the bottom of his house is vacant right now, but in, in this room, I, I had this, this moment in time uh, in Valentine's Day when I was 15 years old. And it was me, three other guys, and like these two girls sitting in this room. And the guy that actually raped me gave me a, a shot in my arm. And it was such a large shot that I, I, I went up, I went up um, stairs and I got in my dad's recliner and I just, my ears were ringing and I just was rocking, right? And I, I was sitting in that room today and I was prepping this message. And I was just overcome by God's goodness. Because I'm just thinking, man. I'm like, God, you're so good. Like, I'm sitting here about to talk about your redemption. 
I'm sitting here about to talk about your forgiveness, about your freedom. All the while, while I'm in this room where these evil things happen to me. And he's so good. And it doesn't have power over me anymore. Those individuals do not have power over me anymore. See, when you say I forgive you, you're saying that I know that you no longer have a right over my life to harm me. You relinquish the powers. When Jesus came, uh, when we come to Jesus, the one who forgave us of all our sin, the devil has no right over our life to harm us. Right? The only way we can hurt us is if we allow him to. So, meaning, if we choose not to forgive somebody, we are allowing the enemy to hurt us. If God forgave all us our sins, we have no right not to forgive someone for one. And the third thing, I'm going to try to hurry, is it gave me a series of encounters. In comes Kingdom Living. Oh, my goodness. Man, I had so many encounters with Kingdom Living. I remember the first, the first I'll talk about the first encounter. It was with Richard Gordon. <laughs> I know he was just here, right? <clears throat> and I can't mimic a South African accent or else I would. He <laughs> would. Okay, so, you know, he's doing ministry, and he comes up to me. And he lays his hands on my, never in my life has a man touched me like that. <laughs> I mean, that, my, you just heard my testimony, so. But like, so enduring, right? <laughs> so enduring, like. And he says this, he says, he says, uh, I can't do it, man. <laughs> he says, this is gonna be horrible. He says, oh, my pastor friend, that was horrible. <laughs> He says, my pastor friend, right? And he cups my face, and I hit the ground like a bag of bricks. And I'm, like, stuck to the ground, and I'm just having this encounter with God. I have no grid for what's going on. I think it was, you know, it was my first, I think it was phase one. And I'm like, I had just got the teaching, but I didn't have time to process the teaching, you know? And then God shows up. And, um, but this had, this has, this had, this encounter had an effect, right? And all my encounters, they have an effect. They have something that comes after them. If you do not have something that comes after your encounters with God, you need to ask yourself if it was a real encounter. It needs to have an effect. There needs to be change in your life. My God, I'm dead serious, right? If we have, how can you have an encounter with God, the living God, and not change? How? Impossible. If you leave and get mad at somebody cutting you off, check your heart. Sorry. I'm getting a little aggressive. But <clears throat> so that was the first one, right? The second one was uh, a kingdom living as well. And I was on my knees in worship. And he was beautiful. I was in the glory. And then this man... He comes, Samuel Garner. He comes and lays his hand on my back. And he says, strong tower, today the soldier dies. The soldier cannot enter into the bridal chambers. And immediately, the love of God came over my life. 
And I began to have this love encounter with God. And it was at that moment in my life where I stopped striving, right? I live from an abiding knowing that I don't have to earn his affection, that he actually freely gives it and I can freely receive. The third one is, uh, we go to, me and my wife go to a church at uh, Assemblies of God in uh, Pennsylvania. And I, uh, I was doing the call of worship at church and the Holy Spirit just came upon me and I started prophesying and praying and I was like overcome by the Spirit of God. And as I, as I was done, I went and laid right in the front row, flat on the ground. And one of the worship leaders was like, hey, I think I just want to be obedient to God, but I think we need to have the elders pray over Ryan. And so they do. They come and pray over me. And uh, I have this, I cried throughout the whole worship just on, on the ground, just wet the, the carpet with my tears. And what nobody knew except, except my wife is that, uh, excuse me, well, actually not even my wife, um, is that the night before, I withheld something from my wife, right? I did not tell her something. And immediately after that encounter, right when we got in the car, um, I explained, you know, what I withheld. We had an amazing conversation. We walked through it, and it was good, right? It was, um, I know all the minds in here were like, what did he do? Oh, my God, is he in sin? No, it wasn't none of that, okay? It was just a little thing that I had kept from her. Um, but that encounter bore repentance, right? The fruit of that encounter was repentance. I didn't even want to go home. As soon as I got in the car, I wanted to tell her. The fourth thing is, <clears throat> the fourth one is when Randy Clark first prayed for me. Um, this is in 2019, and I hit the ground, and I have, a, what happened was, my hands and my ears began to burn, right? They were just on fire. And I didn't really know what was going on, but it bore a fruit, and the fruit was hearing him in new ways. I remember right after that, I go to Baltimore, and we do like a little mission trip, and um, I uh, begin to have these crazy words of knowledge, right? Uh, I'm on the street with this lady, and we go up to a Buddhist, and I, I get this word of knowledge about his arm, and he ends up getting healed. Um, he had pain in his arm, and I asked him if he had pain in his arm. He did. He got healed. And so I start explaining Jesus to him, and he starts saying, man, you could have heard that from this spirit, that spirit, whatever. You know? And so I kind of, he had a dog with him. I bent down, and I started playing with this dog. And the lady that I'm with just has a conversation with him. Well, as I'm down there pet, petting this dog, I hear car accident, 2005. It's just a random thought came across my mind. <clears throat> and I said, I raise up, and I'm like, hey, man. I'm like, were you in a car accident in 2005? His eyes lit up. And he said, whoa. He said, in 2005, I was in a motorcycle accident. My left leg is shattered, and I have metal rod all down it. This is a teaching moment right here. The lady that I was with did something we should never do. <laughs> she said, do you want to see it melt? That's church lingo, right? We know that stuff. People on the streets don't know that, right? It freaked him out. He said, you know, H-E double hockey sticks, no. And he actually left. 
right? I, I had this amazing word of knowledge, man. Come on. And he got freaked out. And, but anyways, like, the point is that I started hearing God in a new way, right? There's this verse that I know this house knows. It's my favorite verse of the Bible. And I know it's the heart of this house. I think I can say that. Psalm 27.4 says, There's one thing I ask for, and this I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. So beautiful. That's the one thing I desire. The majority of scholars believe that this, this was David who wrote this, but they believe that he penned this when he was either fleeing from Saul or when he was fleeing from his son Absalom. Right? And these were people that he loved, that he cared for dearly. And yet, he would pen this beautiful psalm. See, David, he did not allow his circumstances to dictate the reality of the love and truth of God because he knew that love and truth were only found in God, not his circumstances. He was constantly communicating with the word. He was constantly admitting and forgiving. You could read the Psalms and understand that. He was a living encounter with God, meaning he encountered him continuously. See, I believe that God wants to encounter you tonight. I believe that he wants to sovereignly touch you tonight without the laying on of hands. I believe he wants your yes. I believe he wants you to admit maybe things that you've never said out loud before because he wants to heal your soul. He wants to renew you. He wants to make himself known to you. So I want to ask the Holy Spirit to come in this moment. I want you to look at Jesus. Not a man with a mic. It has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the Lord. It has to do with the Savior. It has to do with the healer. Just look to him in this moment. Holy Spirit, I ask that you come. Ministry team, you can actually come up. Holy Spirit, I ask that you come right now, God. And I ask that you begin to touch these people in this room. I ask that you begin to fill them with yourself, God. Begin to show them things that they cannot see. Search them, God. Show them their heart. Show them their mind. Show them what they cannot see. Reveal truth to them in this moment. You're so beautiful, Jesus. And you deserve our yes. You deserve everything that we have. So in this moment, we yield to you, God. We yield to you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I thank you, God for how you're touching people in this room, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you for the ability to be vulnerable. 
Lord. Yeah, I feel like the Lord is just healing people that have had trauma that they have never spoken of before. Maybe you have had words spoken of your life. Maybe you have had curses spoken over your life, told that you were never going to be good, told that you were always going to be the same, told that you are actually not a child of God, that you are actually a waste of time, a waste of space. And I just feel like the Lord is speaking to you in this moment, that he's declaring destiny over your life. I thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. I feel like God deserves a um, response. There's so many times in my life where I needed to respond. So if you feel the Holy Spirit touching you, if you feel electricity, if you feel warmth, if you have holy tears coming upon you, if you feel the Holy Spirit touching you at all, I just want you to respond, and I, I want you to come up for prayer. We have an amazing ministry team up here um, that were, are willing to pray for you. And I don't want this moment to pass you by. I don't want this moment to not be the moment where God takes something from your life and turns it into something beautiful. So, Father, we just thank you, God, for these people. And I thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in this room. I thank you, God, that we don't have to leave, that we get to see you and stay with you and be with you for all eternity. Thank you, Lord. We just give you this time, God. And I thank you, Lord, for just my testimony that is the testimony of Jesus. I thank you that all these people in this room have a testimony, God, and that they get to testify about your goodness and about your grace and about your mercy. I pray that hearts in this room would be healed and that people will be set free and delivered in this moment, God. I thank you, Jesus. You're so worthy to be praised. And we just honor you and give you this time. In Jesus' name. For more teaching like this, subscribe to this podcast. If you would like more information about Reunion Hawaii Church, our website is reunionhawaii.com. If you're in Honolulu, 
Join us Sundays at 5 live at Kahala Mall. Aloha.